let's just bask in his presence for a minute just remain silent and in awe of all that the Lord has done in our lives Heavenly Father you are you are a good God you wish the best for your people Sometimes we think we know what's best. But Lord, you are always God and you are always good. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on us today. The lesson we have, Father, is a pretty heavy lesson. Lord, I didn't choose it, but it chose me. And uh, it's made me have to take a look at my own life. Sometimes what I see there is not very pretty. But Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on this place today as we uh, go through your scriptures. and As we learn about you, Father, we'll learn a little bit about ourselves. And then we'll adjust accordingly. Lord, let your spirit fall in this place. And Father, I pray that uh, everybody in this place understands and knows first and foremost how much you love us and how you've called us to love the way that you do. You are a jealous God and you want no other gods before us even when that other God is ourselves. Father, I just pray that we would lay down on the altar the sacrifice of our lives today. That we would examine our own selves. And see there what we might be lacking because that's what this word's about is Holy Spirit coming and, and, and doing a diagnostic check on us so Father I just pray that through these scripture verses today in love and in truth that we might come to realize that there's some things in our lives that we need to lay down on, on the altar as a sacrifice that we might enter in to your presence with a new found love and appreciation for all that you've done for us and in return that would manifest itself in us loving and serving one another so father I just pray that that your grace would just flow through this place because I know that your grace never ends it overflows and one of the things that I learned where sin increases grace increases all the more so I just pray Father that that your grace would flow through us today that they would understand and, and know those who hear either here in this sanctuary or watching us on Facebook live or wherever that Lord that 
that you are a God of love and you are a God of mercy and your grace knows no bounds. So we thank you for what you're going to do. We ask, Father, that you be glorified in us, to us, and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Buckle up, buttercups. <laughs> you know, Nathaniel finished up a couple of, well, he had two, two weeks straight of teachings, and he finished up in, in uh, chapter 3 of James on verse 17, and it says that peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We see peace mentioned there a couple of different times, but in chapter 4, verse 1, what does it say? What causes fights and quarrels among you? He asks a question, then he answers it with another question, doesn't he? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Just go ahead and read the first five verses here. It says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Those are pretty, pretty harsh words, aren't they? Well, who's he speaking to? Do you think he's speaking to, to people that are not believers? He's not. He's speaking to believers. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to the 12 tribes who are scattered among the nations. And then in verse 2, it says uh, something about, he addresses them as dear brothers. So we know that he's talking about believers. Can believers ever quarrel and fight? Huh. Should it be that way? No. Shouldn't be. But it is. And then he tells us in a question why those things happen. He says that, that uh, they come from the battles that, that, that or the, the desires that battle within us. And if you look back further in chapter 3 of, of James, you know, it talks about, in, in starting with verse 13, chapter 3, about genuine wisdom and two different types of wisdom, doesn't he? He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor, listen to this, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual of the devil for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder in every evil practice so there's a wisdom but it's not a godly wisdom is it we see so much strife in our world today everybody seems to be divided one way or another race social class financial status color all these different things that are the enemy's bringing against us to divide us. And you know, we just want to try to love people. 
But sometimes people are hard to love, aren't they? But what do we have to do? We're supposed to love them anyway, right? We're supposed to love them anyway. But boy, it sure is hard sometimes. It sure is, isn't it? Because our own human nature wells up in us and we want to say something, we want to do something, uh, and we can't. It says you want something, but you don't get it. You know, I think that's a lot of the problems. I see my, my little grandchildren, when they don't get what they want, what happens? Woo! They can throw a one hissy fit. Well, some adults do the same thing. They haven't grown out of that, have they? They haven't grown out of that. It says you want something, you don't get it, you kill and you covet. We see something that I guess you would call that the, the, the lust of the eyes, right? You want something and you can't have it. So you kill and you covet. You know, you get mad. You have, uh, what do you say, bitter envy is what he called it in verse 13 or chapter 3 here. Bitter envy. You kill and you covet. You know, Jesus talked about if we have anger against somebody, it was just like we murdered them, you know? You ever get mad at anybody? You ever think that maybe that's like killing them in your, in, your, in your heart? Having an anger against them for something that, that they didn't really do, maybe even. But we have that, that anger, that, that bitter envy in us. We kill and we covet. We can't have what we want because God didn't give it to us. You know, and a lot of the problem stems from, you know, God, I believe, he said he wants to give us life and give it to the full, right? But some things he withholds from us for our own good, right? You believe that? Some things he withholds from us for our own good. And so we quarrel and fight, it says. You do not have because you do not ask God. Hmm. And he says, but... When you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your own pleasures. My Bible tells me that I'm supposed to seek first God and his kingdom. But what happens when we take our mind off of those things and we start looking at other people and what they have? And we start coveting what they have. You know, I think a lot of the unhappiness I see in the world today is because of that, I guess we'd call it class envy for any better reason. You know, I, I saw a shirt the other day that some lady was wearing in, 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 a, in, in a convenience store and it talked about something about equality. It was talking about e equal quality means equal outcomes for everybody. And I thought, well, okay. I wish that I had Elvis Presley's talent and money God should give me that his talent and money you know I don't have his talent and money God gives other people different talents and, and different giftings for different reasons some people are, are very successful in what they do because they work very hard and others don't do as much you know what I mean sometimes there's God-given talents that bring people success I was sitting here listening to the worship team today you know, and I was thanking God because of the gifts and talents that they have. It's beautiful, and it just brought me closer to the to 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 a, a worship experience there. And, and I can't do that. 
I do not have a musical bone in my body. And if I started singing in here, they would probably be a bunch of coyotes coming here looking for a fight. Not everything in this world is based on equality, amen? We are all equal in God's sight, but he gives us talents and gifts to do things and, and to be able to share with people. But it's not necessarily because everybody's equal that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we, we I'd love to be able to, to, to play the guitar and sing like, like you guys do, but I can't. And you know, but I thank God that you can, amen? We thank God for those gifts and talents that people have in their lives and the, and the, and the gifting that they've, they've given them uh, to be able to serve people and to serve others. And we shouldn't be bitter about those things. We don't have because we don't ask God. Well, maybe we can ask God, but he might not say yes. And then we get more mad, right? Just like those little kids that don't get their way. Sometimes we even get mad at God for things. It says, but sometimes you don't receive because you ask with wrong mo motives that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. Hmm. That you might spend what you get on your pleasures. You can take that a lot of different ways, can't you? Pride of life, lust the eyes, lust the flesh. Look what I got. Nah, 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 you don't got what I got. Right? That we might spend on our, on our pleasures. That we might grow proud because of what we have. You know, and as I was listening some, to some commentaries and, and, and scriptures, it was one of the illustrations it gave was Paul's writings in, in, in the book of Corinthians where he went up to the third heaven, right? And he witnessed things there. And then immediately after he did that, he said that God put a thorn in his side that he not, might not become boastful about what he had seen and what he'd done, you know? And there again, you know, he asked God to remove that thorn from him, didn't he? Three different times. I said, I said three different times. <laughs> three different times he asked God to remove the thorn. Two times right out, God said no. And Jesus, then Paul prayed again, and he added this, in Jesus' name. And what was God's answer to him again? No. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for us as well. When we start looking at everybody else and what they have and what we don't have, we can become full of bitter envy, can't we? And in our efforts to try to attain those things, that selfish ambition, we start sacrificing time with family, time with God, in order to attain those things. Don't ask me how I know. It was a pretty convenient excuse back when I was in the world to say the reason why I wasn't on church on Sunday is because I was working. Right? 
Now, I'm not saying we didn't need the money. We did. We were poor, or, or. But that took me away from going to church with my family and, and to, to spending time with the Lord and learning about things that he would have me to be and to become and to do. I was running from him at that time in my life. We start spending our time and our and our energies not chasing after God, but we chase after other things. And that's why in, in verse 4 it says that he calls us an adulterous people. He calls us an adulterous people. Spiritual adultery, where our faith, our faithfulness to God is not where it needs to be. And God is a jealous God. We know that, right? He said we're not to have any gods before him. I saw a meme the other day on Facebook, and it was pretty, pretty telling. And it said this. It showed a picture of a lady looking into a mirror, and it says, if your God gives you everything you want, then your God is you. If your God gives you everything that you want, then your God is you. Because there's things that God, for your own protection, will deny from you to keep you safe and to keep you from straying. But he calls us an adulterous people because we chase after other gods and idols, and sometimes those idols and gods we chased after are ourselves and what we want. We don't pray. We don't do anything but chase after the worldly things and, and the things of this world to better ourselves and our station in life. And he calls us adulterous people. And he goes on to say, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Pretty harsh words right there, eh? Because he's called us to be set apart, to be a royal priesthood. So that people might know because the way we love and the way we live, who we belong to. Jesus, his last command before he went to heaven says, The new command I give unto you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So that by this, men might know that you truly are my disciples, if you love one another. If we love one another. And it goes on to say that, or do you think that the scriptures say without reason that the spirit he caused to live in envies intensely? Envies intensely. There it is, jealousy again. God is a jealous God. One of the verses that I use when I uh, do a wedding ceremony comes out of Song of Solomon chapter chapter 8, verse 6, and it's, and it's a symbolizing what the ring or wedding bands mean. And it says, place me like a seal over your heart. I forget how exactly it goes, but it talks about, for my love is as strong as death, the, the very love of Jehovah, and its fire flashes with jealousy or something along those lines. But God is a jealous God. He doesn't want anybody else having our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants to be 
the Lord of our lives. And sometimes we allow other things to come in and take that place. But you know what I found in my own life? And, I, and I've shared it with, with guys before when I was first saved, you know, for, for 25, 30 years, my idol was firearms. I love guns. I love guns. I've worked on them. I've shot them. I've, I've schemed and saved and penny-pinched and traded to get the latest and greatest thing that they came out with. Guys, anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm thinking, all right, this is the gun to end all desires I have for guns, right? And guess what happens? Two months down the road, they come out with something greater and better, you know? Now listen, here ain't no good no more. Get rid of this and go after the other one. And it was chasing my tail because I never was content. Contentment wasn't found in guns. Contentment is only found in God. Contentment is only found in God. Are you hearing me? If you're chasing something other than Him, it's never going to satisfy. It never will. It's going to create in you selfish ambition and bitter envy. Don't ask me how I know, right? Don't ask me how I know. And he goes on to say, or do you think the scripture without reason, without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intentionally? He created his spirit to live in us. The Holy Spirit dwells here in each and every one of us. His spirit dwells in us. And he don't have any room in here. He doesn't want any room for something to come and knock him out of there. He doesn't want that to happen. And when we start quarreling and fighting because we don't have or being jealous of somebody, it grieves the Holy Spirit. I think Paul, I got some notes here somewhere. I've got, I forgot to look at them earlier. Forgive me. It's crazy. I sit here and I'll write. 20, 30 pages of notes and half the time I don't even look at them. I guess it's because it, God's putting in my heart what he wanted me to put in paper first. In chapter, I think it's chapter 4, verse 31, that he talks about, but do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Come on. Yeah, here it is, 4.30. Ephesians 4.30 for those who are writing, writing it down. Ephesians 4.30 says, Not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then verse 31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. But instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Seems like... The Holy Spirit was speaking about the same thing to, to James and to Peter or to Paul, wasn't it? Then verse 6, I love it. I love it. The first five verses we see was the cause that we have in our lives of quarrels and bitterness and fighting. But the next five verses are going to be the cure for those things. Verse 6, he says, But he gives more grace. 
but he gives more grace. It says in the scriptures that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. Paul wrote in Romans, I think it's chapter 5, verse 18, that where, great, or where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. God's grace is never ending. It will never run out. One of the, the another illustration that one of the commentaries that I read or, or listened to had was, uh, he, he, he was talking about the turn of the century. At the Niagara Falls, there was an art gallery there and they were having an exhibition and uh, this painter had painted a, a, a portrait of, of Niagara Falls, you know, and the, has anybody ever been there? I've never been there. Yeah, somebody, yeah. I guess it's just immense, and the, the, I forget the tonnage of water that goes over those falls is just incredible, the amount of water that goes over those falls. And this guy was trying to capture the, the greatness of Niagara Falls in a painting, and in his haste to take it to the gallery for the ex exhibition, he forgot to title the painting. So he just put it up on the wall and, and, and there was no title to it. So one of the workers there looked at it and he, he titled it for the artist. And can you guess what the title said? There's more to come. He looked at all that, over, that water overflowing, those, those falls, and he, and he titled that picture, There's More to Come. Well, that's the way God's grace is. There's more to come. Amen. There's more to come. No matter where we're at in our stage of life, no matter whether we're, we've sinned intentionally, unintentionally, God's grace is there, and there's more to come. Amen? There's more to come. And he gives us a few practical areas where we can cure some of the bitterness and the anger and the fighting and the quarrels. The very first one it says in verse 7 is submit ourselves then to God submission to God and submit is a military term and it means to to fall into rank get back into rank all right if you're not walking in step with God then it's time that you submit that you fall back into rank with him all right and it says resist the devil then he'll flee from you resist the devil and he will flee from you we saw Jesus being tempted right but he didn't give in. He resisted the devil, and what did the devil do? He, he fled. He, he left him. Number three is very important. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Requires action, doesn't it, on our part. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. When we, just like that prodigal son, I had that vision of that prodigal setting his face towards home after he had squandered his inheritance and he, he longed just to eat the, the pods that, that the hogs were eating in, 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 his, in, in the place where he was at. And he says, my father hired men have more to, spare, to eat and even to spare than what I have here. And here I am perishing with hunger. And he worked it out in his mind. He would go to his father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. If you just take me on as a hired hand. I would gladly work for you. And it says that he set his face towards home, right? But when he was a long way off, 
he was drawn near to his father. But when he was a long way off, the father was watching for him and saw him, and he ran. And he ran to him, and he throwed his arms around him, put a robe around his, his, his shoulders and a ring on his finger, and they killed the fatted calf, right? That's an illustration about of God when we start drawing near to him, that he'll run to us. I love that song. We used to sing it here a long time ago. It was a good song. It was called When God Ran. You remember that? It was beautiful, that illustration of God just running towards us to meet us where we're at. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Number four says, wash your hands, you sinners. Pretty harsh statement there. He's calling them what they are. He's not pulling any punches here. Washing your hands was a Jewish ritual. Whenever they went into the to the temple or came into the presence of the Lord, they would they would cleanse their hands to represent that their hands were free of committing sins. Wash your hands. Another song, I, I love music. I can't sing or lick like I said, but I love music. And there used to be another song we sung, Give Us Clean Hands, right? And then it goes on to say, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Right? Oh, let that be the cry of our hearts today. And you know, when I was reading these, these five things that we can do to cure the quarrels and the bitterness and the, and, and the anger and, and, and all the things that goes on in this world, I thought about a passage of Scripture and a story about David and Bathsheba, right? We saw, we saw David when he should have been going to war with when the rest of the kings did. I think it's in 2 Samuel. Let me see. Do I have it right? Yeah, it says 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 it says in the spring at the time when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army so we see that he's not submitting is he? he's not falling into formation he's supposed to be the king and he's supposed to lead his army into battle in the spring of the year but he's not doing that because why pride of life I'm the king I'll do what I want to and I'm going to stay here I'm going to send Joab instead and that's what he did well then what happened verse 2 it says that one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the rooftop of his palace and he saw a woman bathing. Lust of the flesh. He saw that she was beautiful and he inquired about who she was, found out that she was Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, right? And you guys know the rest of the story. He gave in to the lust of the flesh, committed an adulterous act with her, she became pregnant. And in order to try to hide that sin, he, uh, he conspired to have her husband killed in battle. Thinking that he got away with it, that he was able to hide his sin, he went on about his life. And he married Bathsheba. But then Nathan the prophet came to him and told him a little story, right? Told him a little story about two people. A rich man who had many herds and flocks. And then his poor neighbor who only had one little ewe lamb and he loved like his own and he brought it into the house and he raised it with his children and then that rich landowner who had many herds of flocks came and he took that little ewe 
and he butchered it so he could have a feast with his friends that were coming from a foreign land. And when David heard this, he became incensed. He said, where is this man? Because he deserves to be punished. He surely will pay as long as I'm king four times for what he's done for the cost of that little ewe lamb. Nathan replied to David, you're the man. You're the man. sudden David came to know and understand that he might have hidden his sin from a lot of people but he couldn't hide it from God and it caused him in response to write Psalm 51 I'm just going to read it bear with me what time is it Lord. have mercy on me on O God according to your unfailing love According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you I've sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight. So that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me then I'll teach transgressors transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you save me from blood guilt O God the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness O Lord open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise listen to this guys you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it you not you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. This, O oh God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite spirit. That's why in James chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That one hit me pretty hard, because I remember back when I first gave my heart to the Lord. Many of you were there when we were still meeting at the, the auditorium at the high school. And when the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I dedicated my life back to him, I bet for the first three months when I entered into the presence of the Lord in that place, all I could do was cry. Tears would just come. I didn't understand, but I do now. 
I was wailing. I was grieving and mourning my sin. Because there's a difference between in repentance of being sorry that you got caught and sorry that the sin that you committed caused God to send Jesus to die on a cross for you. I've heard a lot of guys in jail go to court and, 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 and say, I'm sorry for what I've done. But then they go out and re-offend re again. Well, were you really sorry for what you've done or were you just sorry for what you got, you, you got caught? True repentance will bring about a broken and contrite spirit in us. Are you sorry for the sin that caused Jesus to go to the cross? I am. I am. But you know what? But he gives more grace. His grace abounds and it overflows. No matter where you're at today, Verse 10 says that he gives us, or I'm sorry, humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up. He gives us an opportunity to come clean with him, to be washed white as snow, to have our hearts purified. We can't do it ourselves, but Father, Lord, you can. So we ask, Father, that you would come. And if there's one here today, through these words the scripture today have been cut to the heart who understand and know father their need for you that maybe they've been living in this turmoil of bitterness and they don't understand why father the cure that you've given us of resisting the devil submitting to you resisting the devil drawing near to you then, Lord, I just pray that, Father, you would minister to the heart today, right where they're sitting, Lord, that they might know the fullness of your grace today and the mercy. And, Father, that, that they would grieve, mourn, and wail for the sin that was there that caused Jesus to go to the cross. And the reason why we remember every week that sacrifice through communion. Lord, we didn't deserve for Jesus to die for us, but you sent him anyway. So, Lord, we humble ourselves today as we remember what that, that bread and that, and that juice represent, the body and blood that was shed, that we might be made whole, that we might be redeemed, So, Lord, I just pray that as we get ourselves ready for communion, that we would examine our own hearts. What causes quarrels and fights in us? What desires are battling in us? Lord, I just pray that, that we would take an honest look at ourselves. And Father, that we would come to our knees.